to which we generally say in a thousand different ways, oh no you don't. I will play a part in my own salvation. I choose you, Jesus. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I invite you into my heart. Natalia and I both came across an, an article dealing with this gospel reading this week, which uh, referenced a study that was done on the origins of the very concept of fairness. I think it was done at Emory University. And in this study, they took these uh, capuchin monkeys. They had two monkeys in adjacent cages with a glass wall between them so the monkeys could see each other. And the monkeys were trained. They had a little uh, dish of rocks in their cages. And they were, they were trained to hand a rock out, out the cage to the handler. And then in return, they would receive a little piece of cucumber. So the first monkey uh, handed over her rock and received the cucumber. She was thrilled. She ate the cucumber. She looked at her neighbor who did the same, got a cucumber, and on this went for a little bit until at one point, uh, the monkey on the left handed her rock, got a piece of cucumber, looked over as the uh, neighbor handed over her rock and was suddenly given a grape. Now, grapes are highly sought after and prized by Machu... Macu uh, what are they? Oh, capuchin. Capuchin monkeys. <laughs> so, uh... The monkey on the left saw what happened to her neighbor and got extremely excited, couldn't wait to hand over her rock, which she did, and she was handed a piece of cucumber again. So she held that cucumber just long enough to see that the handler didn't even wait for the neighboring monkey on the right to hand over a rock, but just randomly handed her a grape. Now, the monkey on the left went crazy. She literally took her cucumber and threw it at the head of the handler and then started throwing her rocks all over the cage and banging on the walls. This was not at all fair. It's a, it's, it's a study that's been reproduced with other primates. You can go ahead and YouTube it. It's hilarious to watch. Amazing that it's true. So uh, Jesus is telling a parable which is widely considered to center around this idea of fairness, as Katie shared with us. And early one morning, Jesus says, a landowner heads out to an area where day laborers uh, all uh, congregate uh, with uh, the hope of getting uh, hired by, uh, by a landowner. So uh, there's no better feeling if you get there early in the morning to be hired on first thing because you know you're going to most likely earn a full day's wage Therefore, taking a lot of pressure off of someone in that very vulnerable state. Uh, your family's going to eat tomorrow. You've got enough for another day and so forth. So they, they start getting hired on first thing in the morning. And then this landowner uh, needs more laborers later in the day. So it comes again later in the morning and more people get hired on. And even though it's unlikely to get hired on in the afternoon, and sure enough, the landowner returns to the site, and more people get hired on in uh, around noontime, and then at three, he comes again, and these people, he promises to pay them whatever is right, uh, until he goes back to the same spot uh, with only a couple hours of daylight left now at the end of the day, and says, I've got work for you. Now, these people were likely held out no hope they were going to get any work on that given day. And I, I wonder if maybe 
what they were doing was just holding their place. So now they would be first in line the following day, perhaps. Uh, imagine the day that those particular folks have had. They've seen uh, themselves move up in line as others have been hired, but it was looking hopeless for them. So they were fearful that their family may not eat in the coming days. And finally, as the sun sets in this story that Jesus tells, everybody lines up uh, to get paid. And this is where things get interesting. The owner calls his field manager and, to settle everything up. And he says, give everybody their pay, beginning with the last. In other words, the last hired and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. So they received what they would have had they worked all day. And they are shocked. Everybody's shocked. And Jesus had said the last will be first. And that is clearly the way he has arranged this parable. So we try to imagine what the others further back in the line must have been thinking. You know, they saw that these people who just worked during the cool of the day around sunset and got a full day's wage, well, then imagine what the boss is possibly going to pay us. I mean, those who are good at math are doing the math and they're, and they're thinking, this is really going to be something. And we can almost see them rubbing their hands together in, in t anticipation, like the monkey on the left when uh, she saw her neighbor on the right get a grape right? And, and, and then to get a grape for free without even handing over a rock. This is what they were uh, thinking. And then they, 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 they get to the front of the line, they hold out their hand, and they receive one denarius, the usual daily wage, that which they had agreed to work for, yes, but they, we are told, grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. And that phrase right there, you have made them equal to us, has always stuck in my mind. Because it makes me wonder how often I have a similar thought run through my head. You have made them equal to us. I was telling Lori last night, I stumbled upon a documentary about a, a couple from Iran with a small child and they were fleeing the country for fear of the woman being stoned to death relative to a, a marriage situation. And they had landed in Turkey and they were waiting for their status uh, to be decided as to whether or not they could be determined as refugees. And just the, the travail and the fear, and, and, I, and I, I look at someone like that, and I, I hear the echo of this line, you have made them equal to us. The landowner reminded them that he's kept his part of the bargain in Jesus' story, that he paid them exactly what he agreed to, and what business... Is it of theirs if he decides to be generous with his money? And he asks, are you envious because I am generous? And that one stings, doesn't it? Oh, what about equal pay for equal work? What about rewarding those who 
deserve it the most. And uh, listen, Mr. Landowner, who do you think is going to line up first thing in the morning tomorrow when they find out this is how things are happening? Uh, Debbie Thomas serves as the Children and Family Ministries Director at a, an Episcopal Church in uh, California. She's the one who referenced this article, and in dealing with this passage she writes, but God, if the landowner in Jesus' parable represents God, and it seems clear that, that it does, God is not fair, at least not according to our inherited beliefs about fairness. God, it turns out, does not believe that the best place to be is at the front of the line. God isn't interested, as we so often are, in showing favor to the best, the biggest and the brightest, the workers with the most elite educations, astonishing professional achievements and fanciest zip codes. In fact, the landowner in Jesus' story doesn't judge his workers by their hours. He doesn't obsess over why some workers are able to start at dawn and others are not. Perhaps the late starters aren't as literate or educated or skilled as their competitors. Perhaps they have learning challenges or a rough home life or children to care for at home, or perhaps they struggle with chronic depression or anxiety. Maybe they've hit a glass ceiling after years of effort and they're stuck. Perhaps employers refuse to hire them because they're gay or trans or disabled or black or female. Whatever the case may be, the landowner doesn't ask them to explain or defend themselves. All he cares about is that every last person in the marketplace finds a spot in his vineyard. The early bird and the latecomer, the able-bodied and the infirm, the young and the old, the popular and the forgotten. When the workday is over, what concerns the landowner is not who deserves what, all he cares about is that every worker ends the day with the dignity and security of a living wage, the capacity to go home and feed a family, sufficient security and peace of mind to sleep well, a solid grasp on hope, a reliable sense of accomplishment, belonging, and dignity. Are you envious because I am generous? Ask God or literally in the Greek, is your eye evil because I am good? So on this breezy September morning, how should we hear this parable? I think as usual, it's, it's a matter of perspective, right? You know, apparently we often hear this story from the perspective of those who locate ourselves at the back of the line. We're the ones who showed up first thing in the morning. We punch the clock. We're there on time. We do the work. We're the ones who feel like we get up early and stay late. And somehow somebody messed up and started paying people in the wrong order and the wrong amounts. And when we let ourselves get down this train of thought, we are once again back to being the older sibling who stayed home and did our chores and ate our vegetables and went to church 
every Sunday. Meanwhile, our younger brother went off to a foreign land and blew his inheritance and came crawling back looking for mercy and a job. And dad threw a party. Remember that? This son of yours, we said. It's the same thing. It's present in so many of the stories Jesus tells us. And the father in that story said, My child, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we should be glad and celebrate. Your brother was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. Last week, Pastor Natalia talked about Peter's struggle with the scale and the scope of God's forgiveness. How much should we forgive Jesus? Is it seven times? I mean, that's a good biblical number of completion. It's way more than what was expected of you in the culture or even the religion. How about seven times, Jesus? That's a good number, right? And Jesus says, how about 70 times seven? Again, forget about the math. It just means there is no limit. What we learn from these stories is that God always acts first. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Paul says in Romans. God does not wait for us to get our act together or to measure up or to get smart enough or faithful enough. You can only counterpunch with God. There is no ability to make a preemptive strike. I choose you, God says. To which we generally say in a thousand different ways, oh no you don't. I will play a part in my own salvation. I choose you, Jesus. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I invite you into my heart. And Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house. But, but, but I haven't even done anything yet. Exactly. God's grace is out of control. That is to say, we cannot, we are not able to control the grace of God. And this has always been a problem especially for religious people. So here's what I want to say on this breezy September morning, especially to those of us who have been singing about this amazing grace our whole lives and relying upon it and resting in it. And because of all that, we may have a tendency to just tame it a little bit. Grace is not easy. And grace is certainly not cheap. God's grace is the most powerful force in the universe, and we cannot control it. I cannot compare the grace I have received to your grace. There is nothing fair about grace. It simply is not about fairness. In many respects, it's, it's nearly the opposite of fairness. If I got what I had coming, if God was fair, I would be in serious trouble. 
God's grace on this breezy September morning includes you. Uh, just hear that again. God's grace includes you, holds you, will not let go of you, no matter what you think about that proclamation. Whether you believe it deeply or you're sitting there wondering whether or not that might be true. None of that has an impact on the truth of this good news, this gospel, this out-of-control grace. God loves you, chooses you, accepts you, holds you, and will not let go of you. No matter what. This good news is enough for us to fight for the community of faith, to stay faithful through this entire pandemic, no matter how long it takes. We'll gather again, all of us, in a way that we are accustomed to, in a way that we yearn for, in the way that we have known throughout our lives. In the meantime, we'll do it faithfully this way. Understanding that this out-of-control grace of God has reached us again, claims us, forgives us, holds us, and promises that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, not anything. This includes our own living and our own dying. You are my beloved child, God says to each of us. You hear that on this breezy September morning. God's grace is for you. God's grace is sufficient. Amen. So from the, the villages of Tanzania to every corner of this world, we are reminded of the graciousness of God. That in fact, it is a pursuing grace that has caught up with us again this morning to remind us that well before it occurred to any of us to choose Christ, even while we were yet in our mother's womb, he chose us, forgives us, and surrounds us with his grace so that we can enter this world having been claimed, chosen, forgiven. We can go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.